What is up, everyone? We are back with another episode of Shaping the Culture, and I am so elated for this week's episode. Uh, we've got uh, Vanitha Reisner with us. How are you doing today, Vanitha? I am doing well. I'm happy to be here. New new year. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Well, thanks for hopping on. Um, I was telling you before we started recording, um, just hearing about your story and uh, just the things that you went through. Uh, I was deeply challenged, moved, and I'm I'm excited to to dive into this. Um, for for those who are uh, not familiar with you or those who are new to you, uh, can you give us just a little background on who you are and what your story is? Yeah, wow. There's a there's so much to my story, but I um, like right now I um, live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm married to Joel, and I have two grown daughters who are keep me in line and are continually posting videos um, on their stories about the dumb things that I do. So if you want to follow them, you will see what kind of a crazy person I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have, um, it's funny, I, I did write a book, but I would consider myself a sufferer, not a writer, which is, you know, I write just because uh, out of the things that I've learned and that I know, um, really have had probably marked suffering through almost every decade of my life, except for from 16 to 30, I would say I didn't have a lot of suffering. And I would say those are probably in a crazy way, probably the most wasted years. They were super successful. But yet when I look back on what I did and where I grew, it was pretty selfish. And the times when life was really hard, even though I was angry and frustrated and scared, I look back and I think, wow, God did something really remarkable in those years. So that's probably a good way to describe kind of my suffering, or I can, you know, just jump into all the different decades of suffering, whatever you want me to do is great. For sure. Yeah. So for those who may know what happened before 16 and what happened after 30, uh, and then, yeah, we'll just go into it from there. But yeah, for those who may not know, what are, yeah, what are some of the things that you've had to endure? Okay. Well, um, I was born in India to Christian parents. And when I was three months old, I got polio. And polio had been pretty much eradicated by then. So the doctors had no idea that I had it. And I had a 105 degree fever for a three month old that causes brain damage often. So they gave me cortisone to lower my body's fever. They thought I had typhoid, but it lowers your immune system. So within 24 hours, I was completely paralyzed. Wow. And the doctors said, oh my gosh, she didn't have um, typhoid, she has polio. But by then there was nothing they could do. So the doctors told my parents they needed to leave India um, really for two reasons. One, because they don't have very good medical care there or they didn't then, Mm -hmm. as well as the fact that they said, they, in India, there's quite a stigma with disability. They think it's a curse from something that you've done. And so there are no services available. I mean, there's no handicapped ramps. You basically live in your house. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so they told my parents if they really wanted anything for me that they would need to leave India. So they did. And my dad, who was an electrical engineer and a, a professor, uh, took a job installing telephones actually in London just so we could leave quickly. And so we did. And my first surgery when I was two, then we moved to Canada and I had 21 operations by the time I was 13. Wow. And that was really hard, mostly because I lived in the hospital. Actually, we were at a free hospital in Canada 
And they required that people not even see their families except on weekends. So I lived on a ward with uh, 14 girls and we were alone most of the time with nurses that were pretty hard. I talk about that a little bit in the book, like they're, they were just, you know, this was a job for a lot of them. And so there was a lot of sort of trauma for me on whoever was really nice to the nurses got what they wanted. Yeah. And so um, I talk in the book about being a recovering pleaser. And I think from a very early age, I learned if you make people happy, they'll give you what you want. Mm. And so that was, that was hard, but it was also really hard being home because I was bullied when I was seven, a group of um, boys threw stones at me and called me a cripple. And so I just felt like life was cruel pretty much wherever I was. Um, The hospital was safer because I understood it. I didn't really understand what it took to live in the real world. And I mean, when I was, I was in the hospital for once, I was there for a year um, straight, flat on my back in a body cast. So that was kind of my upbringing. Um, When I was really young, I didn't know any different. So I wasn't really mad, but really by the time I was 10, nine or 10, I was angry. I was mad at God. I was mad at everyone because life had not turned out the way everybody else's life was. And I think um, I thought everybody's life looked perfect. I mean, my idea of other people's lives was what I saw on TV. And I thought my life just stinks not a Christian at all. But all the cute guys in my high school went to FCA. So that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to fellowship with the athletes. I wasn't an athlete. Um, And so a friend of mine and I would sit in the back and we would talk about boys. And then one day she came back, she went on a retreat and she said, God is real. And I will never forget that day. I remember thinking, oh no, she's going to talk about God. I can't handle that. And she did. She talked about God all the time. And then one day I just went home and I just said, God if you're real, show me. Mm. Now, I, I did not think God was real. And I felt like if he was real, he was cruel, mm. that there was no point to what had happened to me. And I remember saying that at night, the next morning, nothing happened. And I was like, yeah, God's not real. Yeah. But I had a Bible that I had gotten from being confirmed at church, which is kind of crazy because I wasn't a Christian, but I was confirmed because that's what all the kids did. Yeah. So um, confirmed at church and opened the Bible. And I basically just kind of flipped around and I said, God, like, if you're real, just show me something. And I remember flipping over into Leviticus and thinking, yeah, this is what I think of the Bible. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. But I asked God, like, why? Why did this happen? And I flipped open to John 9, um, this passage where Jesus is talking to his disciples and they see a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And that was a question for me, like, who had done something that I would get this polio? Mm -hmm. So I remember reading Jesus's response. He said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the work of God would be displayed in his life. Yeah. And that was the moment for me. It was like, God jumped off the pages of scripture and said, I'm here. I, I have a purpose in your life. And it's funny, people sometimes ask me like, what's the purpose of suffering? And I think, um, I think everything we go through in life, the purpose in some ways is to honor God, whether it's amazing things or hard things. Yeah. And 
I think it's kind of funny. We all ask why. We want to know what we've done. Like, what did I ever deserve to do to have this happen? And that was really my question was why. And I felt like God was answering me with, there's two ways to answer why. There's why of what have I done? And then there's the why of, is there a purpose? And I think asking the why question of, is there a purpose? The answer is always yes. You know, uh, just in a sidebar, I always choose a phrase or a word for the year. And this year, my phrase is God is using this. And um, I think just for different things that have been hard in my own life recently, I feel like God keeps bringing me back to this. Like, I'm using this. Like, you may not see it. You may not see it in this lifetime. But trust me, one day you will. I'm using this. And I think that's the purpose question and the why question that I think answers all our other why questions. So. Wow. So powerful. Yeah. It's so good. Uh, just, just a follow-up question to that. Um, yeah. If, if somebody's watching this and they're struggling or maybe they're going through things um, that are really difficult, maybe they didn't have a great start to the year or maybe just, you know, 2020, everybody, I feel like collectively we had a, we had a hard year. Um, <laughs> and for those who are struggling and those that, um, you know, don't, don't want God to use this. Mm-hmm. They would rather have God do it a different way. Yeah. Um, you know, cause it's, it's hard to reconcile that God is uh, using this for a greater purpose. And, and, and it's one thing if you signed up for it, it's another thing if you didn't sign up for it. And yes. oftentimes God, you know, doesn't let us choose how he wants to glorify himself through our lives. Yeah. So what would be your encouragement to someone uh, who says, man, I, I don't want him to use uh, this, or I don't want it to be done this way. Yeah. Well, um, a friend of mine once told me, um, we all say to God, this isn't the ticket I bought. You know, we think we bought a ticket. We are going somewhere amazing. Yeah. And somehow we get on the train and it's like, uh, this is not the ticket I bought. And I think all of us feel that way about 2020. We, we didn't buy into that this, that year. Yeah. Um, and yet I would say God does his deepest work in the things that we didn't buy the ticket for. Like those are the places we go kicking and screaming. And, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, I mean, I think most people would want to re, I mean, I would love to relive that 16 to 30 in terms of everything I ever wanted. Looking back at that, um, yeah, there was no lasting fruit from a lot of that because it was all about me. And I think a lot of the really great things in our lives, they make us happy, but they don't make us holy. And when we think about, you know, what we want to say at the very end of our life, I think we'll remember the things that make us holy. Those are the things that are really going to last, that make an impression, that leave a legacy on this earth. And that really in heaven, like, you know, the Bible talks about just you know, things that we do that get burned up and the things that we do that are gold. And I think it's through suffering that we have gold. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. Um, you, you wrote um, the book, Walking Through Fire. Um, what are some takeaways that you had? I know you've had um, a lot of experience in pain and you've, you've dealt with a lot of uh, unfortunate things. Um, what, and, and you're speaking to now, even how that has made you holy and that's bared fruit in your life. And, yeah. you know, that's made you more like Christ. And, and so, um, what, what would you say, um, the Lord did in your life through pain that you're grateful for? What, what, what's something that you took away that uh, you're glad about? Yeah. Well, I would say the biggest thing is that, um, God gave me himself. Mm. 
like God's presence to me used to be this sort of in and out, like, you know, if I'd read an amazing Bible passage or I'd hear a great sermon, I'd be like, yes, God is with me. But then I would float through my days, honestly, like not feeling like God was with me. And the reality that God never leaves us for every hard thing I went through really became my life. And I mean, Jesus is with me and I, that's the hill I would die on. I mean, I would stake my life on it. Whereas I would say 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I I probably would say, yes, I know that, but do I experience it? Does that give me joy? I would say probably not as much. You know, Psalm 16 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. And I think we that's how we have joy and suffering. You know, people talk about how do you even have joy and suffering? It seems impossible. And I think it it is because of that statement, in your presence is fullness of joy. And the more I've suffered, the closer I have walked with Jesus. And so that's what I would say has been my takeaway. And so I would say at the end of the day, what God gave me in suffering is more than he ever took away. And just for people who don't know any of my story, just in a thumbnail, um, yeah. I lost my son. A doctor made a mistake in his medication and he died a few days later. And that was just crushingly hard. And, um, but you know, this, I don't know if you're familiar with Natalie Grant's song held, but that was written about um, my son, Paul and starts off. He died at two months old, you know, two months is too little, but they let him go. Mm. Um, And God really used that song to just show me that he, he can bring healing through a lot of different things. Um, But I also have post polio. So I um, eventually, so I mentioned at the very beginning that I, Um, was a quadriplegic when I first got polio. But what happens post-polio is this, uh, what happens with polio is your body initially has this huge hit, but then your muscles start to regenerate a little bit. And I've had, you know, so many operations, 21 operations. And so I was able to do all kinds of things, but with post-polio, all the regeneration and all the progress you make through exercise just unwinds. And so eventually I um, most likely will be a quadriplegic again. And I see that and I use a wheelchair now. I walked normally for a bunch of years. I can't, I can't use my arms very well at all. And so I see that going backwards. And that was a really, really hard diagnosis. And just realizing that's kind of my future Mm-hmm. Um, has been hard, you know, but God has given me grace every day. And then, um, and then my um, ex-husband left me for someone else as I was just processing that diagnosis. Um, and so I was raising two adolescent daughters who were super angry and I was angry mm-hmm. and uh, we struggled through that together. And my daughters were 10 and 13 at the time and life fell apart And I really, I remember screaming in my bed, like, God, why do you hate me? Because I felt like God hated me. And yet God met me even in that, even in my frustration and my fear. And, um, and that's why, you know, I, I entitled the book walking through fire because it's like the flames will not consume you. And that's, I think what we saw, we see through the Bible, like with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you know, you're thrown into the fire And it's never what you want. As we just talked about, you know, this isn't the ticket we bought. This is not the year we want. This is nobody wants to be thrown into the fire. And yet when you're in it, you find God is walking with you. Like he's there and it's not going to burn you. 
Yeah, that's so good. I, you know, you, you mentioned in your story, um, yeah, the doctor's making a mistake with you and even your son and then yeah. your ex-husband walking out on you. Um, how did you um, overcome bitterness if you did even feel bitterness or I know you spoke to anger, but um, yeah. how did the Lord chisel you in that. How did the Lord, um, yeah, keep your heart from staying angry? or bitter because it's very easy. I mean, if I, I'm just thinking um, if something like that happens to me, I, I don't know if I could, you know, recover or I don't know how I'd feel, you know? Um, and it, it wasn't just a one-time thing. It just feels like back to back over and over again. It's almost like, God, what lesson here are you trying to teach me? Uh, what yeah. deserve this? Um, yeah. But how did, yeah. Speak to that a little bit, that maybe the anger you felt, the bitterness you felt like, what was that process like with the Lord healing you from that? And, getting you um, um, out of that? Yeah. Well, I would say that um, I did struggle with bitterness. I think it's really easy. And I would say I struggle with it now over super minor things, because I think it's so easy to think of a slight somebody's given you or, you know, they don't invite you to something and you just kind of roll it over in your head and you think, I don't deserve that. Yeah. But what it does is it just pours poison into us. And so I realized I read a book after Paul died and um, the woman talks about keep the wound clean. Like you already have a wound from whatever suffering has happened, but if you pour unforgiveness and bitterness into it, it's going to fester and it's going to be bigger than the wound, you know, and that's what happens, you know, when we have a, a cut, if we poured something really bad into it, it would become so much worse than the cut was because it takes over our body. Mm. Yeah. And when I read that, I remember saying, God, help me. Mm. And God has really done a work in me of just understanding what forgiveness is. And it's not just big things. I mean, I struggled with my in-laws who are my ex-in-laws, I guess, but I love them and we're really close now, but we had a lot of problems and a lot of them were me, but I would just take any little offense and roll it over in my mind. And I felt like God really really convicted me that that was sin and I needed to let it go. And so it went from probably a small thing that I think a lot of people listening to this or watching this kind of have people in their life that have hurt them, whether it be in-laws or friends. And it's the same process. It's the same thing of saying, okay, I'm going to let this go and asking God to do it because we can't do it on our own. And for me, it was begging God every day, like after my ex-husband left, um, just saying, don't let me be better. Because I think that's, that's the thing is sometimes we meet people and they want to tell you all of the horrible things that have happened to them. And bitterness is just kind of on their face. And I just didn't want that. So honestly, I begged God, I just said, please help me not do this. And there's, um, and I actually write a lot about this topic in the book, because I think forgiveness is the most life-changing thing I've ever done. Mm. I would say, God has set me free wow. through forgiving. And I think it is the most beautiful, amazing thing that Christ's um, power flows through us when we do that. I think about, um, I mean, this is kind of something I've been pondering, but just the analogy, you know, Jesus says, you know, you are the vine. No, I mean, I am the vine, you're the branches. We are not the vine. Um, but branches get grafted into the vine through a wound. I mean, that's how like, wow. uh, if you do... Um, any kind of uh, science, um, 
both things need to be wounded, both the vine and the branch for it to take. And I think it's through our wounds that we really attach to Christ. And I think his power of forgiveness, it flows through us then. So it's not our power to do it because I don't think we can, but I think it really is that incredible power that forgives us all these huge, amazing things we could never make up for that God gives us to forgive other people. Yeah. It's so powerful, man. Um, you know, I think, you know, in church culture, you know, we expect people to get over it right away. You know, you got to forgive today. You've got to forgive um, as soon as it happens. Speak to that process a little bit. Did it, was it overnight for you or was this, it was it a haunt? So um, I, I, my dad always tells me, you know, you got to forgive a hundred times a day sometimes just so you can forgive yes. the person. And so, yeah, speak to, cause I know sometimes somebody can hear that and say, okay, I get it. I should forgive those that have hurt me or wounded me. Uh, but it's not as easy as everybody's making it sound like it is. And so what was that like for you? Just that process of forgiveness. Yeah. Um, I think forgiveness, first of all, I would say the first step of forgiveness every single time for me feels like death. Like, (laughs) I don't want to do it. Like if you ask me to forgive somebody that I'm somewhat annoyed with, even this morning, I would be like, no, I don't want to let that go yet. So if anybody listening to this is like, I'm not ready to let it go. We're never ready to let it go. I would say that, but there is a, I feel like forgiveness is both a decision and a process. Yeah. And, um, But like for me to like forgive my ex-husband, it wasn't like I just decided, okay, I'm going to forgive him. And now I'm just going to say it a bunch of times Mm -hmm. for me before I actually even embark on that. I need to know what I'm forgiving. So Mm -hmm. certain things that like because somebody didn't invite me to a party like that doesn't need a ton of like soul searching, but something like a betrayal does. And so what I did is I kept a little journal and I wrote everything that I lost, everything that was taken, everything that was hard. And I kept that for a few weeks because I didn't want to forgive too easily. I think some people say, we just need to say, I forgive you, but it costs us something. And I think for me, understanding what I was giving up was important. Um, And I wrote them down and then I prayed over it when I finally felt like, okay, this is a big part of what I am letting go and the loss that I have dealt with Um, and just asking Christ to take it. And so that was sort of the decision of I'm going to choose to forgive, but then it was a process of every day for the next five years Mm. of saying new memories come up. Like you'll go somewhere and you'll be like, Oh my gosh, I, I remember that or hurts resurface or people say thoughtless things and it just comes back up again. Yeah. And so to me, it's just like, God help me to do this. Mm-hmm. And what I can't do in my own strength, I ask you to do it for me. Yeah. And God does. I mean, I think when we involve him in the process, he does it. Whereas if we feel like we can do it on our own, I can't do it on my own. I mean, I just, I just roll it around in my head and I get madder and madder and I feel more and more justified. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, speaking to that, not being able to do it alone, I know God is a great help, uh, but I think we also need community. Yeah. So what was that like for you? Um, was, you know, cause sometimes 
when people don't understand what we're going through, it's hard for them to walk with us or be there for us in the way we want them to be there for us. And so um, what was that like for you, having people around you to love on you, uh, to, to just be there for you, to walk with you? Um, I know God walks with us in the fire, but God also sends people to walk with us as well. And so what was that yeah. like for you? I, my friends were incredible, I would say. I mean, and, and that actually, I talk about all the amazing ways people met me in suffering. Um, people would just say, hey, can I drive your kids somewhere? You know, it's just very practical things. And sometimes it's just sitting with you, but not talking or not feeling like you have to provide some kind of wisdom. It's just being there saying, hey, I'm free at five o'clock. Can I, can I run an errand for you? Can I pick up your groceries? Can I do any of these things? That was huge as well as just listening to me. I mean, I had friends just come over and cry with me. And sometimes we feel like if people cry, um, or people feel like, oh, if I cry in front of them, it's going to be awful. That's the most healing thing. I mean, people who came to my house and cried after my son died, I'll, I still remember that. Like they didn't have words. They just had tears. And I think the people who had words honestly annoyed me. <laughs> and I say that because I know I've annoyed people because I want to go in and be like the voice of wisdom. I just want to say the magic thing that somebody's going to think, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. That's what I needed. Yeah. But nobody ever says that because we don't have the power to do that. Yeah. Only Jesus does. And so what we do is we just, we're the hands and freedom of Christ. Yeah. We serve people. We sit with them. We pray for them. I mean, if they ask us to speak, which rarely they actually will. Yeah. But most of the time, just, just listen, just be there with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Um, you know, for those who are watching and they have a friend or a loved one or a family member that's going through it and they want to be a better friend, what are some things you would say to stay away from saying? Um, oh, well, anything that starts with at least, mm -hmm. you know, like at least, you know, if you have a miscarriage, at least you have, you know, you got pregnant or, you know, at least you could have another child or at least it's not like Armageddon. I, I mean, comparing suffering is really painful and, no matter what it is, like, don't say, I know somebody else who went through this and they, you know, they are strong now, so you can do it. Like those feel like judgment. Wow. So I would say any of that and, and also asking really specific details can be really painful because the person often doesn't want to tell them, but it's awkward to say, I'm not comfortable saying that. And it, it makes this sort of awkward space. Mm -hmm. So I think just saying, you know, you can tell me as much as or as little as you want. I'm, I want to hear. I'll be completely confidential. You don't have to say anything. Like, but asking, like, I remember after my son died, like, do you think you made a mistake? What do you think you're going to do? Are you going to sue the doctors? You know, how do you feel? You know, just those questions just hurt so much. Yeah. Um, you know, do you think you did something wrong? You know, people, I think, just feel like they want to talk or just kind of connect, but the questions we ask of people who are suffering, I think we need to be really careful about those. Yeah. And I think it's really important to share Christ with people, but I think we've got to be really careful with that. Mm -hmm. um, I think for non-believers, like the very second suffering occurs, isn't the time to say, you know, here's the gospel, but it's to live the gospel. Yeah, There'll so be opportunities to share it. Yeah. But I think we need to be really wise on where we use our words. Like um, Romans eight twenty eight, love that verse. 
<laughs> I thought I was going to go through the roof when somebody said it to me at my son's funeral, though. They were like, you know, you'll be fine. You know, God works all things for good. I thought, how can you say that to me? So I would say, I don't use that for people when they're suffering. I just don't use that verse. Yeah. I use it for myself because I think we tell ourselves that, you know, sort of like God is using this. We tell ourselves God is using this. Yeah. We don't tell other people. Yeah. So good. No, I, I appreciate that. Those are some great practical uh, things to stay away from and things to do. I love, I love how you said uh, sometimes people don't need to hear the gospel. They just need to see the gospel and live out the gospel in moments like that. Um, so good. I, uh, I wanted to ask you, um, in this journey of walking through the fire, um, what would you say um, uh, in, in that process helped shape you become more like Christ? Um, what, what would you say in that process uh, made you more like Christ and fall in love even more with Christ? Um, I think the fear is that if, if something terrible happens, I will walk away from the Lord or I will want nothing to do with the Lord. But with your story, you see God's hand in keeping you and sustaining you and, and, and showing you himself. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what did that do for your faith? Yeah, I would say um, it really deepened my faith. But I would say the biggest thing to people is lean towards God. Don't lean away. I think there are people that walk away in pain, but more people lean away. And I, what I say, I mean by that is we just stop talking to God. We don't tell people I'm not a believer. We just feel like it's too painful to engage with God. Yeah. Because yeah. he's the one that we feel like he could have prevented it. And, and that's true. He could have prevented it, but he chose not to. And so we think I, I mean, and I did that after Paul died. I didn't want to pick up the Bible. I didn't want to talk to God. I was like, I don't want to talk to the God who wounded me. Why do I want to talk to him? Mm-hmm. And yet I was so empty. And finally, I just cried out to God because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And God really met me in an incredibly spectacular way. If I had to pick the one moment in my life where God was the most present and was probably the most joyful moment of my life was after my son died, when I had pulled away from God and God met me in my car. To this day, I will never forget it. Um, And it was really just, I didn't do much besides lean back. God runs the aisle. I didn't have to go meet God, even though I had really walked away emotionally. Not, I mean, I was still in church, but I just turned back and all I said was, God, help me. I need you. And God's right there. But I think so many people don't even go to that place. They just feel like, you know, your mom says, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything. And so we feel like we don't have anything nice to say to God. So we don't say anything. And I would say, say anything you want to God. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you open the Bible, there's a lot of really hard things people say to God. Yeah, yeah. And that draws us to God. Mm-hmm. And I found that through the post-polio diagnosis and after my husband left, like just talking to God through scripture and just saying the words of the psalmist back, those things changed me. And I fell in love with the Bible um, mm-hmm. in ways because I needed it. And because that was the way God was talking to me every day, it changed me. And I think that was the most precious thing I got from walking through the fire is realizing like this word, this word is fireproof and this word will change you. 
Yeah, that's phenomenal. Phenomenal. For anybody who's tuning in right now, um, what would be your encouragement to them? Um, why would they? Yeah, just what would be a good reason for them to read the book, Walking Through the Fire? And what would you say to them? What would be your message um, to them? Yeah, I would say to read it if you've ever felt um, that you wonder where God is in our suffering. And if you've ever felt discouraged or alone or that God is against you, because I have felt all of those things. And I would say I wrote the book pretty honestly, because I don't want people to think I'm some super Christian because I am not. I fail. I fall. I get angry. I've gotten, I get bitter and yet it is God who holds on to us. And so I wrote it because I think we learn through story. Like when I'm suffering, the last thing I want to do is read a theology book. Like I love theology books, but like, they're so hard. And so I wrote it because we can all relate to story. You know, so we can just watch somebody else struggle and find God and say, okay, this same God, he's going to meet me. And that's how, you know, I love Johnny Erickson Tata. There's people that are my heroes that I've read how God met them. And I thought, okay, I can do that. If God can meet them, God can meet me. And so that's really why I wrote it. Um, but I'm not a jo- Johnny's incredible. I mean, if I'm much more like, massively uh yeah simple and just stuff so people should be able to relate to a lot of the struggles i've had um and i would just say to people lean into god trust him um he is doing something beyond your wildest dreams yeah that one day one day you will look back and thank him for Mm. i don't know when um, I think this, this yeah, a couple of days ago, I just started writing down, what do I think the three things we need to believe in suffering are to make it through? And I think one is God is with us yeah. because we need that. Yeah. We need to believe that our suffering will end. Yeah. Because if we think it won't end, I don't think we can make it through. Yeah. So our suffering will end. Yeah. And then the last thing is God is using it. It's not meaningless. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think just believing those things changes everything in suffering. Yeah. That's so good. Well, yeah, your suffering, uh, the Lord has used to encourage me. Um, and he's used it to, um, yeah, just show me, uh, that God is with me. Um, and then he showed, uh, he's used your story to, um, help me put my trust in God. Um, uh-huh. I've been encouraged by the way, um, he's kept you. And I love how you said, you know, that you're not perfect and there are hard days and there are things that you say that are difficult to God, but just knowing that God can handle that is encouraging to hear. Um, knowing that God has a space for us, you know, as you, you mean reading the Psalms and some of the things that people have said in the Bible, like you've mentioned, they've said some really crazy things to God and God has welcomed them with open arms and, you know, He's uh, loved them through it all. And so thank you for sharing your story too. I know uh, it's hard to talk about these things and share these things and be vulnerable with that, but thank you for being open about it and letting God use your story to encourage and to edify and to build faith in in the body of Christ. And so, um, yeah, I would, yeah, just thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, Any last thoughts that you want to leave with us before we, uh, we call it an end? (laughs) 
Oh, last thoughts. Those are always tricky. I would just say, um, like God is for you. Yeah. You're watching this and you know, Christ, God is for you. He will not let you go. Yeah. So hang on to that and know that he loves you extravagantly. Yeah. Um, and he'll walk you through this, whatever it is, whatever fire you're in, God will walk you through. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you once again for joining us on Shaping the Culture podcast. Uh, I know this conversation has stirred my soul and edified me and did it well, did my soul well. I hope this blessed you guys. Uh, Make sure to read the book, Walking Through Fire, Vanitha Reisner. Uh, And yeah, until next time, family, uh, peace.